2: What's up, guys? David Harrison here, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast. And on this episode, I am joined by three of the other NFC South Locked On podcast show hosts as we continue our ultimate divisional crossover by looking closer at the 2019 Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what is in store for the team with the coolest coach in the National Football League. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and bring in the fellas.
3: Hey guys, Ross Jackson here. Always a pleasure to be uh, with my good friends here and very excited to be back and uh, chatting with the Bucks fans about the Bucks yet again. Uh thanks everybody very much. Uh you can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC, and of course you can check me out as the host of Locked On Saints.
0: Aaron hey, Freeman here, the host of Locked On Falcons, and I'm on Twitter at FalcFans.
4: Hey, what's going on, Bucks Nation? Bill Gersetti here of Locked On Panthers. How you guys doing? Good to be with the rest of the division crew here. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Bill underscore Resetti if you want Panthers news or even some college basketball news. I'll just throw that out there. Haven't touched on that in my plugs this week. <laughs>
3: hey,
2: of course, and March Madness is right around the corner, so so no better time to start getting ready for that co- those uh, college basketball brackets. If you're like me and you don't pay attention to college basketball at all until it's time to finish, filling your brackets, and then you kind of get down to the point where you're just – you're just picking the coolest name. You know what I mean? You're looking at like NBA mock drafts and like, oh, this guy going in drafts. So I'll just pick his team. Why not? And then you're miserable by by the end of the first round. So um, but before we get fully into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, let's recap a little bit of what happened in 2019. Uh, Buccaneers finishing seven and nine in third place in the NFC South. Thanks to that. Thanks to that week 17 loss to Atlanta Falcons at the hands of uh, Jameis Winston's final pick six of his season. Perhaps his Buccaneers career. Um, only team in the NFL. Uh, with a winning road record to not make the playoffs in the 2019 season. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit of information. Third in the NFL total offense, first in passing, 24th in rushing. Finished 18th in yards per game allowed on defense, surrendered the third most passing yards, and, uh, gave, but gave up the least amount of yards rushing. So again, a team of of two sides. And gave up the against with 449. However, seven of those touchdowns did come by way of pick sixes thrown by James Winston. Uh, had the league leader in sacks and Shaquille Barrett, league's passing leader in Jameis Winston with five thousand one hundred and nine yards, thirty three touchdowns, and thirty interceptions, making his own thirty for thirty special in the two thousand nineteen season. And something, guys, I was talking about uh, prior to recording with you guys. Another interesting fact is twenty four of those thirty interceptions came at home, and that does include five in London. So maybe maybe discount that, throw that out of there. But even still, nineteen of what would then be twenty five of his interceptions. Came in Raymond James Stadium. So, gentlemen, uh, we've my audience has has heard plenty of what I have to say, what James, my co host, has to say about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2019 season. Uh, let's give them the perspective from around the NFC South. Bill, let's go ahead and start with you, uh, covering the Carolina Panthers. What did you think of the Buccaneers going through the 2019 season, and where do you see kind of the, some of their key needs entering the 2020 offseason?
4: Yeah, the Buccaneers are definitely a, uh, an interesting team to watch, so to speak, and you hit the nail on the head. It was the uh the thirty for thirty special as you alluded to for Jameis Winston. I mean that that's just crazy to think that a guy can uh throw for five thousand yards, thirty touchdowns and have thirty interceptions. Like I've never you know, we we hadn't seen this kind of season, you know, a thirty and thirty season in about thirty years, funnily enough. But you know, Jay, it's tough, too, because this is such a, a really good offense. Uh, I was so happy to see the, the breakout for Chris Godwin, fellow Penn State, by the way. I, I like to keep mentioning that just because uh, Chris Godwin is my boy. Um, so really happy to see that. And then, you know, Mike Evans obviously was doing his thing until he got hurt. So, you know, the production is there. Pro- the The talent is there. It's just obviously – the Jameis Winston factor was a huge a huge detriment to this team and really was the big reason they uh that they were held back this year. And it was just so fitting that a Jameis Winston pick six ended the season and gave him his thirtieth interception and sent the buck to seven to nine and actually cost them uh, second place in the division funnily enough. So it was it was all it was just a roller coaster of a ride with the Buccaneers season, and you know it really shapes up for what should be an, uh, an interesting offseason. You know, obviously the top of it is going to be Jameis Winston, but there's some other pieces that we'll touch on. But um, you know, Bruce Arians, you definitely like what he's doing in Tampa Bay. I think he's starting to build something. I think that defense is, you know, there's some pieces that need to be there, but it's a unit that's starting to come together. I think. You know, and I've said this with some of the other teams, and so I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but I think the Buccaneers are going to be a really fascinating team to watch this offseason, particularly when it comes to who the quarterback is going to be. Are they going to pay James Winston all this money? Are they going to go after somebody else? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of factors in play, but I think you kind of saw last season that uh, the pieces are starting to be there, and, you know, it definitely helps that they have really great coaching. Like I said, Bruce Arians has done well. Um, Byron Leftwich is an up and coming coach in his own right so this this is a, an intriguing team i think i think people need to, uh, need to actually take a minute to look at this team and be like wow like you know they they're starting to build something here you know don't be don't be too quick to discredit them uh so so
2: yeah. And Bill, and you mentioned Chris Godwin, uh, one of my favorites as well, coming out of the draft or coming into the draft when he's coming out of Penn State. I mean, that Rose Bowl game that he put down, just the gutty performance, even though Penn State lost that game, that right there sealed it for me. I was in love with him as a, as a player uh, from that point on. And then when he got drafted by the Bucs there in the third round, it was for one, I was amazed that he made it to the third round. But the fact that the Buccaneers got him, uh, I've been keeping a close eye on him ever since. And actually this week we replayed for our listeners our interview with him last year where we kind of talked about him potentially having a thousand yard season. And he was, you know, he, he's a pretty humble guy, but he's like, that would be great if we can make that happen. And fortunately it was able to happen. Talks with him, perhaps signing an extension this off season. He does have one year left on his rookie deal. So we'll see if that comes through this year or if the Buccaneers and, and Chris and his agent uh, decide to wait till next season. Uh, but Ross, Talking about the quarterback, and I don't want you to give me a definitive answer yet on whether or not you would sign Jameis Winston. Aaron, that goes for you, Bill, as well. I am going to have you guys give your answers on that. But, Ross, you're representing the division champs here, the New Orleans Saints, and we talked about with with, the, with your episode on Monday about what these teams need to do to kind of challenge the Saints for that divisional crown. I have this question for you. If, if, if it's not Jameis Winston, again, don't tell us if you want it to be Jameis Winston, but if it's not Jameis Winston looking at the quarterback landscape and who's available, whether it be in the draft, whether it be in free agency, what quarterback can this team add to its current roster that would scare you into, into thinking the Buccaneers might be coming for that crown?
3: Oh, that's a great one. Um, I'm going to go to the draft and I'm going to name somebody. that's not necessarily a top guy, you know, the top guys being Joe Burrow, Justin, uh, Justin Herbert. But I think for me in the draft, Jordan love would be somebody that would kind of give me pause. Uh, he's a, Yeah, he's a guy that consistently gets those, you know, Patrick Mahomes comparisons, big guy, has some athleticism, has some mobility, but that arm with those threats like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Could you just imagine weekly connections between Jordan Love down the field to Chris Godwin? Like, I can see it so clearly. And then to have all of that talent under a guy like Bruce Arians who has that reputation of being a quarterback whisperer, who has taken a guy like, let's look at maybe, I guess Carson Palmer is a pretty good example of somebody that, you know, really only put maybe six games on tape when it came to him coming out of college and then turned him into, you know, essentially somebody that could make a claim uh, as a hall of famer, but certainly a, a fantastic uh, quarterback for that franchise. And so when you look at all of the things that he's done in the past and you give him somebody that's young talented, athletic, that has the arm talent. And I mean arm talent, not just as arm strength, but I mean ball placement, everything else that goes along with that. And somebody that has clear flaws, but those flaws being flaws that are fairly coachable and you give him a coach like Bruce Arians, he's somebody that would worry me wearing a Bucks uniform next year or the year after if you give him some time to develop.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And James and I have been on record on the show many times throwing our support behind Jordan Love. Unfortunately, it looks like the Indianapolis Colts are probably going to, well, not really swooping. They're already in front of the Buccaneers to pick number 13 and take him. He's Jordan Love is consistently being mocked to the Colts. And I cannot see, honestly, I can't fathom a universe where Jordan Love is not drafted by the Colts at this time. Of course, free agency and stuff will help answer a lot of those questions. Uh, There's been some speculation that if James Winston hits the open market, maybe the Colts sign James Winston. And if you drop $25-plus plus million on James Winston to be your franchise quarterback, why would you go and draft Jordan Love in the first round? So that's all stuff for for future talk. Uh, Jordan Reed, actually, over at, at the Draft Network, our, our buddies over there, recently released his 5.0 mock draft and did two rounds of it and actually gave the Buccaneers' Andrew Thomas an offensive tackle out of Georgia because Jordan Love went number 13 to the Colts. Surprise, surprise. And then Jacob Eason in the second round. And that's an interesting prospect, but I feel like if Jacob Eason is the answer, then uh, a veteran quarterback is probably starting 2020 while Jacob Eason is is developing behind that quarterback. And Aaron, so I'm about veteran quarterbacks, right? You have it's it's funny how the NFC South has gone from being the division that has maybe the best stable of quarterbacks in the league to now where three fourths of these teams have major quarterback questions, even if Jameis Winston returns. It's still a major quarterback question on which version of Jameis Winston is going to return, whether it's the 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns or the 30 interceptions or both. Um, Cam Newton, obviously, and and Bill, I know we'll get into more of that tomorrow. And then, obviously, the questions surrounding Drew Brees and his retirement, Teddy Bridgewater and his contract. But from where I stand, Aaron, I really view the Falcons and Bucks as kind of the closest – to to if you compare team to team, the Falcons and Bucks seem closest to each other, and it's fitting because they both finished seven and nine. Um, you have a lot of previous Buccaneer players in it or uh, members in Atlanta with Raheem Morris. You know you got guys like Dirk Cutter, and then I kind of look at the rosters. We got we got Mike Evans, you have Julio, we have OJ Howard, you've got Austin Hooper, Deion Jones, Quan Alexander before and now Devin White. So I mean the rosters kind of line up about as much as you can probably expect two NFL rosters to line up. These teams finished two and three. As we already stated, week 17 was the tiebreaker. You guys took that game, took that tiebreaker. What is it about the Buccaneers that you feel like is going to hurt the Falcons' chances of holding on to that second spot, potentially earning that first spot? And what is it about the Falcons you think that matches them up well to keep the Buccaneers in that bottom half of the NFC South?
0: Well, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a captain, obvious answer, but it, it is the quarterback position. Because I think when you look at this Bucks team, you know, with Bruce Arians, he can produce high-powered offense if he can get stable quarterback play. And we saw the highs of Jameis this past season, um, but we also saw the lows with the the turnovers. And, you know, if you can get that sort of potential, that explosiveness with those weapons that they have, you know, that's a high-powered offense. But they always seem to be, you know, shooting themselves in the foot with those mini turnovers and you, you flip on the other side of the ball, you have, you know, a defense that really turned itself around uh, under the first year of Todd Bowles. You saw them make big investments in their front seven in the, in the off season with additions like Devin White and Shaq Barrett and and Dominic and Sue. And then they went heavy with the youth movement in the secondary and it seemed to pay off for them, uh, particularly in the second half of the season when Uh, Guys like Jamel Dean and whatnot, I know, David, when we did our crossover, you know, I think, you know, shortly before that Thanksgiving game between the Falcons and the Saints, um, you know, you guys were talking about Jamel Dean and sort of the need to get him more involved. And so I think if the Bucs can continue to make strides in the secondary, because we talked about it on Monday's episode with the Saints and sort of some concerns about their secondary, and Ross mentioned it, when you play in this division... If you can't stop the pass, that's going to be very, very problematic for you. And that was really a major issue for the Bucs these last couple of years under my favorite Bucks defensive coordinator, Mike Smith, when they couldn't really do much on defense in some of these recent seasons. So I think really for the Bucs in terms of their Falcons matchup, if they can continue to make strides in the secondary, Julio Jones has been a guy that's killed them over the years. They started to do a better job against him adding some more size with guys like Dean and, and Carlton Davis, and that's given them – they fared a little bit better against Julio this past season than they had in previous years. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting um, with this Bucks team because I think they're making strides. I think if they can get their quarterback situation right, I, I think there's reasons to to believe that they have the stability from the coaching staff, something that the Falcons don't necessarily have, and that was something we talked about in yesterday's episode. You know, I, I think the the arrow is pointing up for the Bucks if they can fix the quarterback situation.
2: Awesome. Yeah, and, and the quarterback position is something we're gonna keep talking about and we'll talk about again later in this show. But real quick, I want to shift over to the defense. And and that's one of the things that leaving the season has been has been talked about a lot is the rise of the defense early on in the season. It didn't look so hot. I mean, going back to that first loss, well, the second loss rather against the New York Giants in the in the 2019 season. Really just a defensive meltdown in the second half allowed Daniel Jones and the Giants offense to get back into it, even after losing Saquon Barkley, if you can believe it. But then towards the middle of the season, really after Seattle, like the Seattle game was kind of like rock bottom for that Tampa Bay defense, uh, specifically Jamal Dean. But they came back from that game resilient, ready to go, studying harder, practicing harder. And they didn't necessarily win right out the gate after that Seattle game, but they eventually kind of got things going to where the defense became a strength and really kind of helped overcome some of those turnovers that were coming from the quarterback position but Buccaneers fans have seen this before and media members have seen this before specifically the, the 2016 version of the Buccaneers defense where they finished the season strong the team went on a five-game win streak a lot of it pretty much seems the same and I want to ask each of you guys after witnessing the way that this Buccaneers defense was able to play in the second half of the season at Ross I'm not sure how much you really got in there, Bill? I'm not really sure how much you really witnessed it because the two teams didn't play during that stretch where the Buccaneers defense really kind of woke up. Uh, but Ross, I do want to start with you. Do you think that it's possible that we're seeing a little bit of a, of a of a mirage, or is it real that this Buccaneers defense is is actually going to come into the 2020 season off of that strength that they ended up with in 2019? Uh, or like I said, or is it is it just a false positive and and we should basically brace for impact?
3: Uh, I think that it's it's something that Bucks fans should feel comfortable having their hopes up about going into 2020. And I know that that could potentially lead to disappointment, but when you look at all the tools that they have, they're you know, the way that they retooled that defense in terms of getting young talent there, as well as some veteran talent like uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. The big question is going to be who returns next year, JPP and Shaq Barrett, of course, free agents in the offseason. They still have some work to do in terms of the back end of the secondary in particular. But if they can address all of those and continue to build around the pieces that they've already started to incorporate into what is becoming a very talented defense, then that's going to be... Uh, something for Bucks fans to be excited about going into next season, particularly with Todd Bowles as the defensive coordinator. I know a lot of people like to rip on Todd Bowles because they associate him as the New York Jets uh, coach, head coach, but you have to look at him in the position that he's in. And he's been a successful defensive coordinator through the majority of his career in that position. That's some, that's a place where he has thrived. And so I love, Seeing all the pieces that they pull together, they have a clear leader in a guy like Devin White, who, of course, I'm personally invested in as an LSU fan. Uh, They have clear leadership along the defensive line as well, depending on if they're able to return a couple of those guys. But even big pieces like Vita Vea that are involved there, getting rid and moving on from a guy and making us what was really a smart decision in moving on from Gerald McCoy, somebody that I wanted the Saints to pursue, who ended up with another NFC South team instead in Carolina, who'll be a free agent this year. But just making educated decisions. Decisions on like, yes, look, this guy is a fantastic player, and he's somebody that can contribute. But the relationship is a little sour, and this isn't the type of uh, this isn't the type of environment that we, we want to build within the locker room. Those are smart decisions. Those are the decisions that improving franchises make. So I like the direction that the defense is going, and I think that this offseason, they have to do some work, but they should be able to maintain it depending upon how free agency goes. And I just mean free agency in terms of retaining the players that they. They know that they can rely on in that defense more than even just the extra pieces that they're able to bring in.
2: Yeah. And Aaron, I mean, you got to see kind of the, the end version of the Buccaneers defense uh, firsthand, obviously with that week 17 matchup and, and Ross kind of went through there and mentioned a whole lot of key players and key positions that, that contributed to that. Jason Pierre, Paul and Dom can sue Shaquille Barrett. I'm going to take Shaquille Barrett off the board just because Bruce Harris has already come out and said that Shaq's not going anywhere. So if you're talking JPP, and Dominican Sue, when you look at how the Buccaneers defense played against the Falcons there in week 17, uh, they forced a couple of turnovers on downs, forced they, they got a fumble uh, there, I think, midway through the game when things were still really tight. Which two of those players, if you had to pick one of them, and the Buccaneers are in a fortunate situation where they're expected to have around 90 million in cap space, so they can probably bring them both back if they really want to. But if you couldn't, if you had to pick one, which one, as a Falcon, as somebody who covers the Falcons, which one is the bigger threat to the Falcons offense in your mind, JPP or in Sue?
0: I would go with Sue, uh, just because I think that having that presence up the middle, where Sue has always been a force against the run, he's always been a solid sort of disruptor uh, in his ability to control the line of scrimmage. And I think when you have guys like Barrett uh, on the outside, and you know, obviously they have Vita Vea, so it's not as if they're they're wanting there. But I think you want to sort of solidify that front in this Todd Bowles. Scheme When you look back at his days in New York, where his all his defenses were, you know, at their best when they had guys like uh, Mo Wilkerson and uh, Sheldon Richardson and um, Leonard Williams all, you know, cooking uh, at the same time. And that's when their defense was sort of at its peak. And so I think of that group, if you're knowing that Barrett's going to be back. You know, I think Sue would probably be the second biggest priority in my eyes. And I think going up against the Falcons, where they have many of the major issues on their offensive line, particularly in the interior with center Alex Mack getting older and having a problem spot, sorry, a problem spot at the left guard position and a rookie at right guard, I think having a a force like Sue in the middle, you know, sort of wreaking havoc alongside guys like Bay, I think makes a lot of sense. So that would be probably the guy that I would target.
2: Yeah. And I mean, honestly, a, a lot of Buccaneers fans, you know, they have that attachment to JPP. He's only been there for a short amount of time, but man, he is, he has been a major impact on that defense. And I think both years that he's been in Tampa, everybody said if he had been here longer, he would be a captain. You know, he missed the first part of the season because of that neck injury. He suffered in the car accident and they were saying the same thing. If he had been here in, in camp in preseason, you know, not missing time because of that injury, he would have been a captain. Uh, his first year, a lot of people say he should have been a captain. Had he been on the team previously, he would have been so a lot of sentimental value but also i mean production is there to support it so it's not just you know fan favorite type of thing uh but in dominican sue like you said he kind of he kind of disrupts that front line and allows guys Mm -hmm. like shaq baird to get free and i almost wonder and look at it if if you can only keep one and you bring in it and dominican sue back uh when when you look at the draft you got guys like caleb on chase on you got guys like aj Epinesa. I know javon kinlaw has become kind of a fan favorite for a draft prospect in the first round but It doesn't look like he's probably going to be there if mocks are kind of going in the right direction unless he bombs the combine, which, of course, we don't hope happens. Um, I did have a question for Bill, so let's let's wait a few seconds and see if he comes back. What do you say?
3: (laughs) (laughs) It sucks, too, because
2: it's a Gerald McCoy question, so I can't ask it to somebody else. Oh, that has to go to him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I figure we give it give it like a sixty count, and if he doesn't come back, we can move on. Oh, Yeah, he'll
3: pop back in in a moment. I'm sure. Oh, let me see if he wrote us. Oh yeah, I cut off. Jump back in quick. Yeah, he's coming back. Okay, there he is. <clears throat>
2: All right. So, Bill, um, I, my last question in this in this segment of the show is, is actually for you. So Ross mentioned Gerald McCoy and what he calls the, the smart decision for the Buccaneers to move on from Gerald. And that's something that really most of us knew was probably going to happen in February. By the time the, the combine came, it was basically going to happen. By the time we hit mid-March, it was just a matter of when it was going to happen. Um, And one of the more, I wouldn't say hot topic items, but one of the more buzzworthy uh, events to happen, at least within the Buccaneers fan base, was when Cam Newton was on camera, put his arm around Gerald McCoy and said, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I would not go as far to call Gerald McCoy Buccaneers trash. I don't think that's what was supposed to be implied by the way that everything went down with GMAC and the Buccaneers organization. But given the year that he had in Carolina, I know there were some ups and some downs because Buccaneers fans were paying attention. Um, do you, do you consider Gerald McCoy closer on the, on the trash side of things without, you know, being disrespectful or more on the treasure side of things? And do you think that, the, do you now having had him on your own team that you cover for a year, believe that the Buccaneers made the right decision, or do you think they would have been better off keeping Gerald McCoy?
4: Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as say they're he's trash. I mean, he can still be kind of a serviceable player, but I do think uh, the Buccaneers made the right decision in moving on from him because, you know, like you said, he was definitely up and down in Carolina. I don't expect him back in Carolina next season because he's scheduled to be a free agent, and the Panthers just need a lot of youth on that defensive line. They they really, you know, they need you know youth and help kind of almost everywhere, especially on the defensive front. So, you know, M- McCoy wasn't bad, but I don't think he was really. What Panthers fans were kind of hoping when they signed them, because it's like, oh, the Panthers signed Gerald McCoy. Like, yes, this is what the defense needs, and this defense is going to be strong, and we're going to be great. And well, it didn't work out so much because uh, that defense, especially the run defense, wound up being <laughs> the run defense was historically bad, and unfortunately, Gerald McCoy was a part of it. So, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say he's trash because I mean, he's still a guy that. You know, you can plug in this kind of a rotational piece, but mm. the fact of the matter is he's, he is getting up there in age. He's about 30 years old. You know, he's not somebody that you're going to shell out big contracts to anymore. Uh, and I think at this point he just wants to, to go to a contender. I think that was one reason why he chose Carolina. He thought Carolina could be a contender this season, and obviously.
0: Ah, oh, crap.
2: We have lots of editing in this episode, gentlemen.
0: Could have been
3: a contender.
0: (laughs) The good thing is we got a couple of days to do it.
3: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I just realized that I've kept my backup recording going since we started the the Falcons episode. (laughs) So I have a recording of us for the last like one hour and 45 minutes, plus all of the things that I've been doing.
0: In between, I don't know if you want to share that episode. But,
3: uh, literally just me like sitting here drinking coffee, clicking away at a keyboard. 30 minutes of slurping. <laughs> I catch myself doing that sometimes like when I have a guest on and they're talking and I don't mute my microphone, I'll just hear myself like drinking coffee. I'll have it on the back, like in the background, and you're like, oh, God, they heard me doing that the entire time.
2: (laughs) I wonder why he keeps getting cut off. I
3: know, he's on his phone, right? Yeah. Hey, dude.
2: Nope.
0: Oh. <laughs> well, well crap. Oh, this gives me an opportunity to send that work email that I've been
3: procrastinating on. <laughs> I'm building all of the uh social media, all the Instagram posts for all of these division rival, I mean division crossovers. So oh, I is... gotta get better at Instagram. I am not good at it. We know if you need anything. I got you.
2: Um, I could use like a full eight hour block of
0: instruction. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let's get it.
0: You're good to go.
4: You got me. Hey. Yeah.
2: So you're you're okay. saying you're talking about contenders.
4: Yeah, so yeah, bottom line, I think that's what McCoy's going to do because he's kind of ring chasing at this point. So, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't pan out with Carolina, but and uh, the breaks, I guess, sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, and, and yeah, I, I like the way you put that, and and that's the thing too. I think that a lot of a lot of Buccaneers fans. I was one of the guys. Who supported the Buccaneers moving on from Gerald McCoy? And I think so was James, if memory serves correctly. And and a lot of fans, you know, kind of took that as as, as a sign of disrespect or something. It just is what it is. And I think that's at, in Carolina, it was what was interesting to me is when he went there, uh, he you know, he did an interview, and, and the big takeaway a lot of people took from that interview was his kind of complaining, whatever you want to call it, commenting on the fact that the Buccaneers were gonna allow Andsu to wear number 93. Um, but the really the big draw that I took from it was him saying that going to Carolina, he can be a teammate, he can be a role player, he can be part of the system instead of a leader of the system, he's not going to be like the star, you know, the marquee player that's expected to carry the load. And then he comes out with the seal on his chest. And I kind of feel like those two things don't jive, you know, uh, if you got a C on your chest, you're not really the role player. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see how that uh, mentality kind of uh the the contrast between what happened in the locker room apparently being selected to be a captain um but yeah i, I think i agree with you bill as far as he's probably going to be moving off carolina probably outside the division and you know that story is going to fade away uh amongst other things but guys i think we're to the point um and aaron i want to start with you james winston so there's a decision to be made uh i'm happy i don't have to make it i'm happy my career my paycheck doesn't rely on me making the right one because it's a tough one but do you keep Jameis? If you keep him, do you tag him or do you re-sign him? And then if you don't keep him, who are you bringing in in his place uh, to, to, to take this team to the playoffs?
0: Well, I, I think the Bucks are, are kind of stuck in a, in a tough situation because they're picking, what, like 14th in the draft? Um, and it's one of those things where you're not really in prime position unless you really want to package a bunch of future first-round picks to move up and potentially select some of the top players. And, you know, you, you talked about it, maybe someone like the Jordan Love falls to you or or whatever the case may be. Maybe you take Jacob Isom in, in round two. So I feel like if the Bucs were picking in the top, you know, seven or eight picks, I, I would have a very different answer to this question. But I, I kind of feel like keeping Jameis on a franchise tag, you know, whether that's 20 million or, or whatever the price tag is, is kind of the lesser of two evils. You got good Jameis. You got bad Jameis. Maybe you hope that in a second year under Bruce Arians, you know, cussing him out or whatever Bruce Arians does as the quarterback whisperer gets him to sort of cut back on it. You know, again, we're we're five years into Jameis's career. We've been hearing about him cutting back on the turnovers every single season. He hasn't really done it. And, in fact, this year was the worst one yet. So, it's it's kind of a, a tough pill to swallow, but I, again, I think the situation is that I don't know if you're necessarily really going to get a significant upgrade in free agency or in the draft picking where they are, so I, I kind of feel like you kind of roll the guys with Jameis for one more year, and hopefully you're in a better position draft-wise or free agency-wise to potentially scoop up a, a better option. I don't know if you really want to get into the Philip Rivers or, or Tom Brady sweepstakes, this off season. I don't feel like that's really doing moving the needle that much.
4: Okay.
2: And and Bill, let's go to you. What are your what are your thoughts on Jameis and how the Buccaneers should handle his
0: future?
4: Yeah, that's the uh the question of the off that's the question of the off season is what do you do with Jameis Winston? Um and I think the intriguing thing about Winston, or actually I should say about Buccaneers is that because you're in – because this is the last year of the CBA, you can actually use a, both transition – uh, excuse me, use fran- franchise tag and the transition tag. So I think the situation that the Buccaneers should find themselves in is, do they franchise tag Jameis Winston and transition tag Shaquille Barrett? Do they flip it? What's the direction they go in? I personally wouldn't uh, – would not tra- tag Jameis Winston. I still believe – and we actually kind of talked about this off air um philip rivers i think is certainly a possibility for the buccaneers because we already know now that the chargers have already said yeah rivers isn't coming back um winston is another guy that i think is ring chasing and we know that really just got to fix the quarterback position and i think the running back position and i think you have a really good offense there in tampa bay so i Shy away from Jameis Winston because, yeah, five thousand yards is nice, thirty touchdowns is nice, but it all circles back to those thirty interceptions, and I am a little skeptical of that, especially in a uh, in a Bruce Arians offense where you're just gonna constantly chuck it. So, I personally, well, I personally would move on. What I think the Bucks are gonna do, man, they're tough because, you know, it's like you guys mentioned, they're in a tough spot as, as far as the draft goes. It's possible that. Jordan Love is already going to be drafted. I've heard some rumblings that Jacob Eason could potentially be in the mix there. So I think, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like they're in kind of a purgatory situation right now where it's, you know, you're, you're damned. If you do damned, if you don't, if you know what I mean, they're, they're, they're in such a tough spot right now, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think Philip Rivers is going to be a target. I know everyone's going to want to claim, oh, Tom Brady or Drew Brees. It's like, no, those guys aren't going anywhere. I think the best option would be uh, Drew Brees. If not, maybe someone like Marcus Mariota could be an option as well. So I I think they've got some options, but uh, it's going to be tough.
2: Yeah, definitely. And then then, Ross, what are your thoughts on the Jameis Winston saga?
3: Well, I'm not really sure why we're even having this conversation because, as Jameis Winston said, he's balling. He is balling, <laughs> oh, and everything is fine. No, no, but I—I I mean, honestly, like clearly, you sign him to a seven-year deal and keep him in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think honestly, like for me, it's I, I move on from Jameis. I think of Jameis as a liability uh, for the team, and it was kind of as I believe it was Bill who said it that you know we've heard, or maybe it was Aaron that we've heard every year that you know, the turnover problem was going to get better and everything. And like, and, and, you know, I know I just gave Bruce Arians a lot of credit, but I'm going to give Bruce Arians a lot of credit on another guy that he selects as his guy, which I don't think has to be Jameis Winston. And I get that, you know, at 14, you're probably not going to be able to land a guy like Jordan Love if you stand Pat, but it's always an interesting thing to me because, you know, I cover an organization that every year is trading future picks to get, you know, an edge rusher or a, a wide receiver. And I don't see an issue at all with a team like the Bucks saying, you know, Jordan loves the guy that we want. We'll give up this pick and, you know, some other to move up to, you know, within the, just outside of the top 10 to get ahead of Indianapolis at 13 and things like that. And so I don't see that as an impossibility if he's still on the board at, you know, 11 or 12 to or 10 to be able to kind of move up. And then pretty much anything after that Panthers pick at seven, if the Panthers were to stand pad as well. And so I could definitely see the Bucks especially with Bruce Arians, you know, being the guy that's running this team, running this offense. Uh, you're going to want to, he's going to want to mobilize and he's going to want to go and get his guy. And that's when I give him the credit as the quarterback guru, when he can go get the guy that he wants and then develop that person that he handpicked to be the person to turn over and hand the keys to the Ferrari, essentially for the uh, the Bucks offense or the, the Ferrari that the Bucks offense can be with the right uh, signal caller under center. So for me, it, it's pretty clear and I'm pretty... Uh, upfront about the idea that i think that the best option for the bucks is to move on from Jameis winston and go and get the guy that bruce arians wants whether it's jordan love or otherwise you know if it's somebody in free agency then sure but i to me think that that's the best but you know coming from it as a you know from the saints perspective go ahead and keep Jameis winston as as long as they want
2: (laughs) I'm, i'm sure you feel that way um yeah, yeah, I, I think mean,
3: everybody in <laughs> this division, all the fans real. feel.
0: No, I, I actually feel the opposite, guys. You guys don't oh, think really and lights yeah. up the Falcons. actually oh that's right, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Aaron's like, get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. I will happily take Jordan Love uh, for the short term.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you guys made a lot of good points in franchising Jameis. I think in, in a vacuum, franchising him is probably your best bet because he does have a lot of upside, but he's also got a lot of problems. So getting that one year. Even though it is a pretty expensive price tag $26, dollars, depending on how it actually shakes out, um, is a lot of money you know for a one year deal. But it gives you a better it gives you that sixth year to figure out if Jameis is actually going to make good on what he says. But like you said, Bill, um, Shaq Barrett really plays a really big role into that. And if Shaq Barrett wasn't in the situation he was coming off of leading the league in sacks, uh, should have been defensive player of the year. Don't at me. Um, I feel like this is a different situation. But with Shaq Barrett until he resigns. If he resigns, I think that franchise tag is being held in reserve for him, which only leaves the transition tag for James. And if James goes out there on transition tag and finds a team even willing to pay him twenty eight, I, I don't think the Bucks match, and I think that James is gone. And then looking at some of these these free agent options like Phillip Rivers, um, I don't. My gut, and this is not any type of information, but my gut doesn't say that Rivers is is, is a is a fit with Tampa Bay. But it doesn't mean it, that I, I could be wrong. Marcus Mariota. Uh, Ross you brought up Marcus if Marcus Mariota comes to Tampa like the city might burn down like half the the group that wanted to draft Marcus in the first place is going to burn it down celebrating and then the half that wants the bucks to keep James is going to burn it down out of anger so Tampa might just burn to the ground and Marcus Mariota get signed Uh Jacob Eason in the first I don't know about you guys but that that screams Dwayne Haskins in the first to me it's like such a mm-hmm. desperation draft pick um so and not, nothing against Jacob. I just I feel like you're a day two guy. So if the Bucks are going to take you, I, I really feel like it's a day two thing, especially at pick 14. I mean, maybe a trade back, get some more draft capital, maybe go to like 25 and take him at 25. OK, we can deal. But other than that, it just feels like a desperation move. And then talking about the cycle of turnovers, uh, you guys mentioned it, you know, the years and years of hearing Jameis talk about, I know I got to get better. I know I got to protect the ball. I can't make those decisions. You know what it reminds me of, guys? It reminds me of the emotional cycle of abuse where you just – you get abused, the apology, the honeymoon phase, the buildup, and then the abuse happens again. And that's kind of where I'm at with Jameis Winston. I don't know where the Buccaneers are at with all that, but all really good things. And here's the final question I want to ask you guys pertaining to Jameis Winston. Um, so, so, Bill, we'll go back to you real quick. Cam Newton's gone. Kyle Allen, who is who Kyle Allen is. Jameis Winston's on the free agent market. These other quarterbacks are expected to be there. Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, Teddy Bridgewater – Ryan Tannehill, uh, Marcus Mariota, they're all there. Do you sign Jameis Winston over any of those guys?
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
4: I wouldn't touch him if I'm the Panthers. Um, you need that support. You're gonna need that salary cap space at some point for some of these other players, namely if they decide to pull the trigger on this contract, Christian McCaffrey, of course that's going to be kind of the other big story is do they give Christian McCaffrey that big extension? I if I'm the Panthers, I would not touch Jameis Winston with a ten foot football. If if you're if you're gonna consider Jameis Winston then you might as well just keep uh Cam Newton. And I know we were talking about if Cam Newton's gone. Uh, in that sense I would not touch James Winston. I'd rather go after someone, even if they have to bring in someone like Marcus Mariota. You know, and they, you know, they'd have to fix up the offensive line no matter what. But maybe Joe Brady can uh, can work with a guy like Mariota, kind of work out his kinks. You know, because the Panthers, the Panthers are in such a tough spot too with figuring out who the quarterback is going to be and, and what their future is. But I, I don't know. It, it just feels like it would almost be a lateral move if they go with, with Jameis Winston. I know the name value is there and I know, you know, it would obviously be a potential uptick in you know, passing yards and, and things like that for this offense. But again, just with those interceptions, it almost feels like you're just, you're just kind of staying the course because you kind of already had that with Kyle Allen, Will Greer and all the interceptions they threw. So I really don't know how much this offense would improve if, they were to go after Jameis Winston so yeah I I really don't think he should be an option for a rebuilding team like the Panthers I think he's more of like a middle of the pack team that maybe thinks they can do something with him and maybe maybe they can be like okay we can try to coach him up and work out some of these kinks and get him where we thought he was going to be five years ago or over the last five years and you know, get over some kind. I don't know what kind of hump they would try to get over with Jameis Winston. They <laughs> they certainly ain't getting over a Super Bowl hump. But, you know, bottom line is it only takes one team. It, it only takes one team to fall in love with a player. We talked about this during the draft, and, you know, we'll talk about it here. It only takes one team. I just don't think that team is going to get Carolina I I will be absolutely stunned if they are.
2: Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And, and Ross, uh, let's the same question to you. Let's say Drew Brees decides to hang it up. Teddy Bridgewater loves New Orleans, but he says, you know what? I'm going to hit the open market. I'm going to see what the rest of the league has to offer me. Where do you rank Jameis Winston among possible free agent signings uh, for, for the New Orleans Saints if it were to come to that?
3: Uh, I think that, and as much as I talk about Taysom Hill not being the answer for the Saints, I think that the Saints would be more willing to figure that out and take a chance to learn that. Than they would be to sign Jameis Winston. Um, if there is one thing that Sean Payton hates more than fire alarms that won't stop going off in opposing teams uh, in opposing teams locker rooms is turnovers, uh, turnovers of, uh, of any kind. We've seen him bench. Um, mark ingram in the past when he you know fumbles we've seen him uh make some pretty pretty staunch statements about uh players and their turnover problems and things like that and so that's not something that you see from the saints offense very much in fact they just led the they just actually set an nfl record for the fewest turnovers in the nfl uh in nfl history uh this past season i believe with only eight turnovers uh for the season and so to Essentially go through an entirely an entire philosophical change at that point to come from that in 2019 to a Jameis Winston led offensive attack in 2020 would just be a little bit too much of a far cry for me to expect and for me to believe would be the case so I don't think that Jameis Winston would be on the Saints radar at all even if the Saints weren't to you know have Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater or in some for some reason you know somebody matches or offers a tender that the Saints don't want to match on uh, Taysom Hill's RFA then I think that in that case the Saints would probably turn to the draft and then just be as aggressive as they usually are in the draft to make a move up and get the guy that they want.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Aaron, uh, let's, let's see what you got to say. Matt Ryan, Andrew Lux, the Atlanta Falcons and uh, retires freeing up all that cap space that he's, he's holding on to. What, uh, what do you think? Where do you put James Winston on your list of targets for the Falcons? If that happens?
0: Well um, you know, if, if that circumstance were to come true, um, I think the Falcons would be interested in Jameis um, if only to see if they can get the mojo that he has for two games a year out of him for 16 games a year and again in this hypothetical scenario uh, that has a, a million to one chance or you know I guess I should knock on wood before saying that <laughs> of, of, of happening I think the Falcons at that point in time would be pretty desperate and given that the team is in a win now mode and um Dirk Cutter has worked with Jameis Winston yeah I think he would be near the top of their list if if they couldn't get a veteran like a Tom Brady or a Phillip Rivers yeah I think Jameis Winston might be you know number three on their list of, of quarterbacks um in terms of trying to replace Matt Ryan in, in this scenario where Matt Ryan just ghosts them in the offseason and tired of getting hit and just like I'm done um so yeah I think Jameis Winston would actually be pretty high so you would at least, David, get to see Jameis Winston at least two more times uh, in the future. Uh, oh, man,
2: Jameis Winston in a Falcons uniform playing in Dirt Cutter's offense against the Buccaneers would be a sight to see, and a as very, that,
3: very, and a very, very welcome one in New Orleans as well. By the way, <laughs> everyone would love that.
2: I'm, I'm sure they would and I asked that question because I often find that like looking from the outside right so I, I go back to when the rumors were surfacing that the Baltimore Ravens may be getting sick of John Harbaugh and be looking to move on from him as their head coach and how many media markets and fan bases immediately just shot through Twitter shot through the social media roof and said bring John Harbaugh to our team you know basically everybody outside of like New Orleans and New England was like bring John Harbaugh over to our team and I just looked at it I was like if you're the Baltimore Ravens look at how much attention your coach is getting from the thought of you firing him and going to somewhere else like that should show you kind of what you have and maybe you're too close to it you're not uh, you know appreciating it as much and obviously they decided to keep him which I think turned out to be a really good decision with them making as far as they did into the postseason so I look at Jameis Winston that same light and how many teams or how many markets would really be clamoring for their team to bring on a guy like Jameis Winston if they were in need of a quarterback and I think that kind of helps you measure from the outside uh, just how valuable James was might be and, and what his worth might be. So not a, not a total, you know, evaluation of the player by any means, but just kind of an interesting exercise. So guys, uh, I think it's going to wrap up our conversation about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, if you have any last thoughts, share them, share them with the guys. And then of course, throw out your social media information and where our, our listeners can find you guys.
3: Uh, no last thoughts for me. This was a lot of fun. Y'all always, always, always love getting to do this. And this is such an exciting opportunity to be able to do this all week. So thanks so much for taking the time. And, of course, everybody, you can find me on Locked on Saints as well as on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Thanks so much for listening.
0: I'll say uh, this is Aaron Freeman. You can find me on Twitter at Fans, Of course, hosting the Locked on Falcons podcast. And I will say, David, when you mentioned Jordan Reed's mock draft where he had the Bucks taking an offensive tackle, I would certainly champion that because you probably you guys probably don't know. I got into a little bit of a, a Twitter spat with Donovan Smith uh, a year or so ago. And okay. so uh you know, I just want to hit get the last laugh if the Bucks wind up <laughs> laughing an offensive tackle. I know, you know, they would wind up putting that guy probably at right tackle given Demar Dotson's potential departure but mm-hmm. eventually he'll probably take over donovan smith's job and you know whether it's three years from now I, at least i can
4: dunk on that guy on twitter mm. uh,
2: all right we'll see we'll see
4: uh let me just say quick i think it might be safe to say that the buccaneers and their fans would probably be happy if they didn't play any more games in london yes after that wonderful performance but uh, i am of course locked on panthers i twitter at villain score study uh of course doing some college basketball stuff as well getting ready for the tournament as i said before uh shocking a little surprising that kansas is number two overall right now but i mean it's only february so plenty of time left but always a fun time and yeah panthers wire Bengals wire pro football network all that fun stuff so uh yeah, fun time. This has been a fun week so far. And oh boy, it's my turn tomorrow. Yay. <laughs> Everybody, <buckle up.
3: laughs> Looking forward to it. Let me also, I, I actually, I do have one last thing that Bill reminded me of. Uh, I'm going to be petitioning this off season for a friendly home schedule for the bucks uh, in oh, 2020. Uh, yeah. Fix it. NFL fix it.
2: Greatly appreciate it. James, and I have been on record. we, have volunteered to do that job for half the salary, whatever they're paying the person who did it last year. I'm so with we're you. willing to sacrifice that time and take, you know, a little bit of, of, of uh, payment for it, but not as much as they were given. Uh, but yeah, great stuff guys. Appreciate you of course. And most of our listeners, most listeners of this episode know who I am. Uh, David Harrison, writer over at buckstation.com. One of the hosts of the locked on bucks podcast at Twitter or on Twitter at DH 82 underscore bucks. This is going to wrap up third episode of our ultimate divisional crossover week. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, bill. Like you said, tomorrow, We'll be back at again with our conversation about the Carolina Panthers. Until then, thank you so much for joining us on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
5: This episode has been brought to you by our friends over at Blue Chew. Com. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed with BlueChew.com that brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them online day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready to go whenever that opportunity arises. BlueChew is prescribed online and or prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct, meaning they are cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, there is no more awkwardness. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com. And get your first shipment free when using the special promo code LOCKED ON. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B L U E C H E W.com promo code LOCKED ON to try it for free. And Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks so much, as always, for tuning in. And we will see you tomorrow for the Panthers version of the NFC South